As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Irving and with us along for the ride, which we've ridden several times in the last couple of weeks and months and years, it feels like, is Andy Mitten and Carl Anker. Welcome, gentlemen. Happy Valentine's Day to you both. We could do all sorts of lovely poems about roses are red, violets are blue. What's the score? It's still one all. Yeah. Um, Andy, I don't even know what to say, really. I was running out of inspiration on the last podcast and... uh, I've just watched the same game again. Yeah, I asked Ralph Rangnick on Friday, uh, how can you get Manchester United to stop doing what they're doing? And he gave us a good answer. Well, to start with, it's I think it's important and I think the players have also realised that, uh, that there has been uh, a, a good development in the last couple of weeks, both in possession and uh, in out of possession of the ball. They realised that we controlled the game but then again, uh, if we concede a goal at mid- against Middlesbrough, it was after 65, 70 minutes. And at Burnley, after 47 minutes, we should just stick to the game plan and not all of a sudden lose shape, lose composure. And this was, uh, yeah, this was the, the most harmful part of it, that we just didn't stick to that game plan. We, we, all of a sudden, we didn't have the same positioning on the pitch. Uh, um, our two eights were well, too far outside and not, no longer in the centre of the pitch. And this is what we spoke about yesterday and the day before yesterday when we analysed the Burnley game. And this is what we have to do better. I mean, hopefully, if we have in the upcoming games the same uh, amount of opportunities, we score more than one goal. This is one issue that we have to be more effective. But at the same time, even if that does not happen uh, and the other team scores a goal, that can happen in football. We still have to be aware why we were so dominant and why we were so much in control of the game in the first half uh, and then stick to that and not all of a sudden lose composure, lose structure and lose shape. He gave us a good answer because he gives good answers, because he's very candid and he's very interesting. And then on Saturday, exactly the same thing happened, which is... United played well in the first half, created lots of chances, should have put the team out of sight. And the visitors, in this case Southampton, who were better than Burnley, who were better than uh, Middlesbrough, I think you've got to credit them. I think so much of what they do is impressive from bringing the young players through, from the way the manager speaks. Interesting that the manager 
picked off Manchester United for saying how weak United are when they go behind. And then we're, we're sat on another one all, and then when we do the next podcast, we're going to be talking about the one all against Brighton. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is where we're at at the moment. Yes, it is. Uh, Carl, you've written about this as well, haven't you? The the sort of theme of being 1-0 up at half-time. By the 65th minute, it's one all, And the team loses its way, runs out of ideas. Obviously, people can go and read that on The Athletic at the minute. But in terms of your take on that, why does it keep happening? It's a strange one. I know it's Valentine's Day. It's hard to have any love for United right now. Andy, I will say, in the press conference on Friday, when you asked that question, I sort of sat on the Zoom. I just scratched out the same question out of my notepad. Just like... He's a good journalist. He's gazumped me for this one. I apologise. So in the, in the same press conference, I asked him, I asked Ralph Rangnick what his plans were for the Pogba and Bruno. Uh, and he gave a plan about, you know, they're two really good number eights and whatnot. And then I went, you know, do you think there's an issue with the fitness or mental concentration of the team? And that's why they sort of lose their heads for, you know, in the 60th minute. And then Rangnick does what Rangnick does, which is talk in a massive paragraph. Uh, and he used the term psychological metal. He said, I don't think it's physical fitness. I don't think it's mental, but there's maybe a psychological issue with United at the moment. Uh, and then he said on Thursday, so after the Burnley game, he talked to Bruno and to Pogba. And he said the issue was after conceding, Bruno got basically went into hero mode and went too far forward. And Pogba, trying to get the ball quickly, went into his version of hero mode, which is dropped too far deep which create this huge gap for Scott McTominay. And he said, I talked to both these players about it. We need to correct the issue. Fast forward to the Southampton game. Southampton go a goal ahead. And then both of them went to hero mode and both of them went forward at the same time, which created a, another problem where there's this huge gap for Scott McTominay to have to deal with. So I've, they just lost their heads. I've, they, I've never seen a United team this petulant before, which is really concerning. I can see him play bad. I've never seen him whinge in the way I've seen this team whinge against Southampton. So the next question I ask him in a press conference, and I'll try and make it one that you definitely <laughs> won't have lined up for him. What I might ask him is, do you know that Snap, who wrote Rhythm is a Dancer, are from Germany <laughs> like you? Let's see what he says to that one. That's the only way you're getting anyone to smile in a Manchester United press conference at the moment, I think. Um, Andy, so I, I guess the sort of takeaway... Um, from what Carl's written and the fact that we've seen the same match now, not just three times, it feels like we've seen it a lot regardless of what the score is. What's the reason that United are having this issue late on for you? Is it the sense of sort of fatigue that, that Carl was talking about a moment ago? Or could it just be the fact that the players don't really believe in what they're doing? They're not fully behind what they're doing. And when it sort of comes to later on in the match and it's tricky and it's tough, they're not really sort of following through on exactly what the plan is. Right, I'll answer this and we'll use the same answer after the Brighton game, shall we? Because yeah, Brighton okay. have drawn 12 of their matches. so They've drawn more games than anyone in the draw. league, I think, haven't they? Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Um, Carl said the word psychological, so I think there's definitely um, issues there and a psychologist might know more detail on that. If only they'd appointed the first club psychologist for 20 years. Yeah. I think when... That announcement was made. It, it was actually not fair to say that because United have used psychologists for yeah, yeah. For a I long, am jesting a little bit, yeah. And and um, but 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 this shows the mood around United when when the club can't do right for doing wrong when results are not good. So United made that appointment and were condemned for it online. We're miles behind. We've only just appointed and and on that very day, um, 
someone was speaking from Liverpool saying how they'd followed Manchester United's lead 20 years ago. And Paul Scholes said some interesting stuff after the game against Southampton. And Before you go any further then, Andy, let's listen to Paul and then we can react to it. This is Paul Scholes speaking on BT Sport after the Southampton game. There's a, a lack of interest now, really. The season's been, been really yeah. about six or seven months, yeah. really. You think the season's not been good enough in... Now that the sack frolly was coming, you know, we, we all knew that, we all felt that. But where was the plan? You think there has to be a plan. They must be bringing an elite top coach into the football club to revive the city. This Man United, they should have the best of everything. And to not have a plan and bring a... What is technically... He's a sporting director. Mm. I think he's coached the team two years out of the last ten years. Don't, don't get me wrong, I, I like the man. I think he com, comes across really well. He just, he looks like he's lacked experience in coaching in the last five or six years, whatever it's been. And his team, they're a team of individuals. You, you look at the difference today in Man United's team to Southampton. Southampton were brilliant today. I thought the coaching, the, the methods, the patterns of play, you know, the two centre forwards, the midfield players were, were fantastic. And you, know, you look at United and they're a little bit all over the place. At one time, McTominay's left on his own in midfield. Then it's Pogba left on on his own in midfield. Where Bruno Fernandes is playing, I don't know. He, he, he's absolutely all over the pitch. It isn't always about being in possession and doing the great stuff. Sometimes you've got to do the, the stuff that is ugly and it gives you a bit of pain. You don't like doing it. So what he says there was, was the headline stuff. But what he also said was that he's giving the instructions and those players, for whatever reason, are not taking and following those instructions through. Either they can't do it or they don't want to do it. And he's a player and he's been in a dressing room. So that talks, that leads me to feel that there are definite issues inside that dressing room. Because whether you like or dislike Ralph Rangnick, I think he's got a pretty clear thought process. I think he's a good communicator and I don't think he's an idiot at all. Uh, The point about him being the sporting director, yeah, that's a fair one. And when he was appointed, I remember Barmy Kef coming up to me at the match and saying, if he's that good, why has he not been a manager? <laughs> and, I, and, and I remember saying on the podcast, if he wins everything, no one will say that. And if he doesn't, people will start coming in and saying yeah, he that. Yeah, did. I remember that. Back, back to him. And this is what we're now getting as Manchester United uh, a lesson convincing. So the manager is providing them with the tools, with the ideas what to do. And the players are not doing it. You might also say that his in-game management is not as good as it could be. Why is the team regressing so much? Why is he being outsmarted? Most notably, I think, by the Wolves Wolves at Old Trafford, tactically. Well, he broke it down after the game as well, Bruno Larger, didn't he? He made it even worse. He compounded what the problems that Manchester United had on the pitch by clearly explaining them in about a minute answer in a second language. And we all went, oh, okay. And everyone was like, wow, this is amazing. Now, after that, I spoke to people who've got um, UEFA aid licences and said, is this revolutionary, what, what he's saying? No. And they're like, no, it's just straightforward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's what we yeah. can all see pretty simply. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes 
and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Do you know one thing as well? When we sort of started talking about some of the problems this season, there was like a... There was a different quality to our takes and our questions and our answers in that there was more maybe frustration or more anger. There's sort of like a collective sort of shrug of the shoulders now, isn't it? It feels like people around the club are doing that. The fans are doing that. Journalists like us on, on podcasts like this are sort of shrugging our shoulders and just sort of almost like just waiting for May in a sense, aren't we? Already. Which is the most dangerous thing if you want to do the style of football Ralph Rangley wants to play. Right, Rangit wants you to be a high-pressing team that works very much on the collective whole and to sacrifice your individual stuff. And the worst place you can ever be in a pressing team is to be someone who goes, "What's the point?" Mm. Right? If you do, you think the team's doing that? Uh, th- Are there I signs think, of that? I think Manchester United, from you know the the first team to subs to a lot of it, just reek of what's the point. Right, and if you want to play a system where you got to run ninety minutes, counter press, not not only run to occupy uh, the opposition players with the ball, but also to block passes they can do, to stay switched on, to make sure you're defending your set pieces and your throw ins and, and tracking back 20, 30 yards all the time. If you at any point go, what's the point of this? Then you're not gonna you're not gonna execute it to one hundred percent. At the moment, it's not just Bruno Larger, It was also Ralph Hassan at all after this one one after the 1-1 draw, he was asked, do you, do you see any weaknesses in Manchester United? And he said, it's no big secret that when United lose the ball, their reverse gear is not the best from everyone, which I know Jermaine Genus got in a bit of a huff saying it was disrespectful to say that, but I mean, you bear in mind, Hassan or Rangit go way back, the fact that Rangit wanted to play the style of football that Southampton play. It's, it's really cutting. There were points in the first half where I was looking down at the touchline and I could see Ralph Hassan all yell at Moy Alanusi saying, drop deeper, get into the half space. He really wanted his wide players to drop in between United's lines and pick up the ball because he understood there was a massive weakness there that this United team is supposed to defend in a compact 4-4-2 and there's just a huge gap in the middle of the back four and the midfield space that any player can just pick up the ball, spray it, and that's eventually where they got the goal from. Um, I don't know how you fix that, right? You've got a very uneven squad of assemb- of expensively assembled talents who I don't think all of them can play this style of football rang it once or, the pa- or play at the pace rang it once for, for 90 minutes, which means, I mean... I know there's a temptation to say, you know what, just blow it all up and start again and don't play this high-pressing football. But whoever comes in the summer, I don't care which manager you want, if it's from France or if it's from the Netherlands or if you want to get someone from Spain, any manager who wants to come in at Manchester United will go, well, you boys need to learn how to press. So you may as well start learning it now and understand that if you don't want to press, you need to start making plans elsewhere. 
collectively, football is looking at Manchester United and saying, what on earth is going on? I'm finding, as a journalist, when I'm travelling around, even doing non-Manchester United stuff, that's what people are asking me. What what on earth is happening? And and last week, I went to meet a contact in a a bar in in Manchester, and he he introduced me to two people. And I'm not going to name them because it's not fair to do that, but they both work in football at a high level. And I was introduced to them as someone who wrote a lot about United and and was a Manchester United fan. And one of them just said to me, what on earth is going on? And he works for a club who are very successful. And that was the first thing he ever said to me. I'd never met the person before. And people are baffled and they've got so many questions and we can't answer all of them because there are no answers to some of them. So the the club on and off the field is in a state of flux at the moment. And that is reflected in, in the results, in the mood. We've got an interim manager, so that brings instability. One person said to me yesterday, why didn't United just get the manager who they wanted? And I'm like, you can't just go and get... Your man from Ajax or the Spanish national team or PSG, just because you want them. Football just doesn't work like that. And United, I think, invested so much into the idea of a cultural reboot with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and were satisfied that there was a, a level of progress. It was good, it wasn't great. And then to have to rip that up again, well, we're seeing the fallout from that. Still, you're seeing people moving and leaving the club. Um, we don't know who's going to come in and be the manager. And Richard Arnold has got to get a hold on all of this, not just on the off uh, off the field stuff, which he's always specialised in, but he's got to oversee the football side of things. He doesn't mean to make football decisions, but the people who do make football decisions will have to answer uh, to him. And it's really frustrating. It's Manchester United keep ruining my mood to the point that I'm thinking, just grow up. I'm I think going part on of the frustration, yes. <laughs> part of the frustration is um, you can't do anything. You're powerless almost to do anything about it because <laughs> you're just urging people on to do something that you want them to do. Now, I remember James Brown, the Leeds fan, saying to me a few years ago, "I just had to cut off from it because it was like ruining his life watching Leeds go down and realizing that he had no power in this situation." And that that's how it is for football fans, isn't it? But. And you, you see these waves as well after the games. Everyone has a massive down. I've got no chance, no chance in the top four. Now we've completely thrown it away. And then the teams around the top four lose their games as well. And you think, how are United still in that position? And the grass isn't greener for other clubs. I've been looking at Atletico Madrid. Big appointment, big game coming up against them. They're just the same as Manchester United at the moment. They can't both lose. Well, didn't you write as well, Andy, that the points total that United have at the minute was enough to be in fourth place last season for Liverpool? Liverpool had exactly the same record at this point last season as Manchester United have in terms of win, draws and losses. That's crazy, isn't now, it? Now, it is crazy. Yeah. It also proves that statistics can, can prove a lot of different things. We know why Liverpool had that. They'd lost some of their best players. Liverpool finished the season very, very strongly. I can't see Manchester United finishing this season very, very strongly. But as the United fan Pete Molyneux said to me last week, the man who raised the three years of excuses banner 
to Ralph Fergie many, many years ago. And he's followed his club a long time. He said, you never know when that corner's going to be turned. Oh, but you said this before, Southampton, and it still hasn't turned. So maybe it'll turn against Brighton. There's one thing, actually, that I want to do before we move on. And it's in the intro of your piece, Carl. And that is about Manchester United having 64 shots in the last three games. Is that a sign that they've been unlucky to draw the last three games? Or is that a sign that the team isn't functioning correctly because obviously the, the quality of the shots is maybe not there. What what does the, the greater data say on that, Carl? I think it's both. The concerning thing, I, th- I think it's unlucky in terms of, I mean, Rangnick mentioned the XG against Southampton, which is one of those things that, as someone who likes XG, makes me happy and sad because I went, oh God, now everyone's going to start thinking XG is useless because he's using it despite the result didn't go his way. He said they had a XG. Out of, of interest, what was the, what was the XG? He said uh, United's XG in the game was was around about two point five, whereas Southampton's was about was was less than one, if I'm correct. United's XG over the last uh, three games was about eight point two, and they've scored three goals. So that suggests there is a there is a sense of unluckiness, right? There is a definite sense that they are not finishing their chances and that won't include the goals that have been ruled out either will it because no, it's actually no, that the, will not the, include the play the, the so goals. add to that you know some borderline decisions as well at Burnley yeah, yeah. you can take out 0.7 for the penalty Ronaldo missed against yeah yeah Middlesbrough yeah. but United are essentially they've they've had the penalty you talk United should have scored seven goals across these three games and they've only scored three which suggests even though things aren't going well you need to calm down and just keep doing the same thing you're doing and eventually you're going to start scoring loads of goals. I definitely also think there is a big question as to why. Why United are massively underperforming on, on their shooting. I asked Rangnick after the game against Southampton, what is he doing at halftime? I said, you know, is there any worry that you're overloading these players with too much information? And he said, no, yeah, there, there's, there's no... He goes, I can assure you we're not giving them too much information. We talk for four minutes, we do a little bit of video work, and then we get straight out there. But there is a... And then he went, you know, the problem is we don't get back into our compact shape. Our technical, He said our technical players can't maintain the effort at the moment. And he said another problem is we can't take our chances. He said Maguire had a, had a good chance, Ronaldo had some chances as well. And those are the two big problems. I... I wouldn't be surprised if he changed it up again against Brighton. I really don't think he should. Yeah. So if you're if you're a you know spreadsheet pencil pushing geek like I am, you know I push my glasses up my nose and I say the numbers are trending very good. Just stay firm. See if Cavani can possibly play, and if he does want to play, start him again and just try and do what you did against Burnley. I and mean, you should. So you drop him Ronaldo again, then straight away. I, I think, I think you might have yeah, to play. We're back to the same podcast chat as well, aren't we? <laughs> Indeed. So that, that's my that's my sort of spreadsheet geek version. But I can also see the 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 um, the footballing argument that I understand a lot of people on this podcast. Like, no, it's not working. Just blow it all up. Play a simpler fo- style of football. Go back to to Ollie ball, and, and that will be the best way to do it. Um, so. I look forward to Thursday's podcast. I won't be on it because I've done three one-all draws in nine days and I think I'm probably a hex, so I should take myself out the firing line. Are you attending the game, Carl? <laughs> uh, no, I will be... Uh, I think I might be on Champions League duty on Tuesday instead. And you'd attended the last three games, yeah? Yeah. Okay, so we'll see how it goes <laughs> then. Confidence is definitely a factor. 
And Alan Shearer's written a piece for The Athletic um, criticising Manchester United. And I was in two minds when I read it because it felt like Alan Shearer telling you where you're going wrong is like someone you used to really fancy who rejected you 20 years ago who then went on to... Critiquing your wife. Yeah. Yeah. But he makes some good points and I, I'm not really going to pay too much attention to his, his, his sort of stuff on Manchester United. But when he talks about himself in relation to Manchester United and how his confidence dropped as a footballer, I found it quite interesting because he was he was a brilliant player. And he said, if things aren't going your way and you start being brought off, even though you're the main man, I think he's talking about Ronaldo there. He just said, things that happen naturally for you stop happening during the match. And I thought it was really interesting. And you can see evidence of that. And Carl's right talking about um, the chances that are being created or, or the XG. I mean, I, my XG was, uh, I wouldn't have mind, minded Mar- marrying Elizabeth early. These things don't quite always happen in real life, do they? But we can all see United are making chances, creating chances, and should be scoring more. And I keep hoping every single game that it's going to click and that penalties are going to start going in, the chances are going to start going in. And every single game, it doesn't happen. And it's baffling. I think it's baffling for everyone. I don't think any of the players don't want it to happen. I don't think they're, they're not trying. I know they get really annoyed when people accuse them of not having heart or passion or being lazy. That's like saying to a player that they're cheating. But then I looked at Southampton's goal on Saturday and I saw how easily they cut through Manchester United's team or probably the worst example was Everton's goal at Old Trafford when they equalised earlier on this season. And you can't help but thinking, what on earth are you doing? Make a challenge. I think it's the, I think sometimes they, they almost have too much passion. They almost have... One big problem tactically is they don't have someone who can slow the pace down on a game. And I think another thing is, at the moment... There is no one on that field who, when everyone loses their heads, can go, calm the F down. Just chill out for a little They bit. need to sign a metronome, don't they? Yeah. I've thought this for a while. They, they need the, a metronome the top teams. and they need just a big lad to go, will you just be quiet for a little bit? So there are multiple points against Southampton where Bruno Fernandes looks, was on the verge of getting sent off. And we said this right at the start of the season, the last Southampton game, the 1-1 draw at St. Mary's. I think Andy and I both went, Bruno is not getting the benefit of the doubt from referees and he's getting really petulant towards referees. And there were two or three moments at Old Trafford where he's swinging out of James Ward-Prowse, he's pushing Jack Stevens. Paul Pogba's trying to get things to calm down and you know, trying to pull Bruno away. But they're both just like, no, I, I can't lose. I can't draw. I, just give me the ball and I'll try and do the most amazing thing possible. Where you're going, no, just, just chill out. Now, last season, the person who would scream, keep the effing ball, was Harry Maguire. And I'm sure... Listeners to the podcast might have seen a moment where Maguire and Rashford are swearing at each other for 30 seconds and then they immediately just simmer down a little bit. But Maguire's not the vocal person he was last season. His confidence is gone. He's trying to focus on himself rather than just scream at everyone to calm down. So you have this 20-minute period, not too long after conceding, where everyone's lost their head. They're all on the verge of getting a yellow card. They're all yelling at the referee. They're all trying to ping the ball 30 yards rather than just you know do a nice little five yard pass keep it simple and then build and build and build and that's that's the second concerning thing for me right now is I mean if you are if you are of the belief that Harry Maguire should not be 
is starting for Manchester United, if you think he's this and that and that, who do you give the captaincy to? Like, who's the person in that dressing room now who you believe has the respect of everyone and also isn't going to go into business for himself if things go bad? Because it's... Raphael Varane is his name. Maybe. Give it to David De Gea. Make the, make the captaincy smaller. Who knows? Okay, let's talk about something else, I think. Before we do that, a reminder, you can subscribe to The Athletic now with a 33% discount at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. That gets you full access to all our great writing, the best of the Manchester United coverage, of course, and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod and sign up now for a third off a subscription. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Okay, news this Monday morn from David Ornstein that Manchester United are thinking of appointing uh, a number two to John Murtagh, who is, of course, the football director. They believe at the minute, the club, uh, that according to David's report, John Murtagh's got far too much to do and needs help in that role. Andy, what's your reaction to this? Is this good news for from a United perspective? He does have far too much to do. And I think there are good people in the club um, who who could do that role. Uh, I think John's position at the moment, um, if Ralph pays off, will reflect well against him. If he doesn't, will not reflect well against him. Because it was his choice. Think, yeah. Yeah. I think John needs headspace where he can actually think about not just the present, but think strategically about where United should be in six months, one year, two years, three years. And at the moment, I think he's been firefighting for a long time. So I'll give you an example. When there was an issue last season, which the Athletic covered well with the the women's team training at Carrington. And there's all sorts of arguments and a lot of the, the women players were not happy. That was brought onto John's doorstep. So the original point of your question was he's got too much to do. And I think that is is a fair assumption because John is someone who is dealing with agents, he's dealing with players' parents, and he's got an awful lot on. And all these people tend to be bringing problems to him. They don't tend to come to him when everything's swimmingly well. They don't come to him and say, I'm scoring too many goals, John. How do I need to score less? So he's firefighting all the time. So to have someone with him 
if his role uh, is a technical one, there are good technical people within the club who could do that. But then we don't know exactly what Ralph Rangnick's role is going to be either. Is he just going to be a consultant overseeing everything? Which brings us back to the other point of everything being in a bit of a state of flux at the moment. Yeah, Carl, I mean, David refers to this in the article, but Manchester United have got so much to do this summer. I can't remember a summer where they've had so many things to sort out. I mean, yes, there's been transformative summers where big players have left or a manager's left or a director of some descriptions left, but this summer everyone's leaving and everyone needs replacing, almost. This basically is the result of not doing the proper work in the summer of 2018, right? Mourinho was very angry before he went into that third season and there was that article that from that was very obviously penned from Ed Woodward going, yeah, it's fine, we'll just go kick on with it. And then they go into the summer of 2019, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been made the permanent manager and the Herrera leaves and it looked as if Paul Pogba might have gone to Real Madrid. And then United again did nothing. And it just keeps growing and growing and growing. I remember once Ole Gunnar Solskjaer described the situation with De Gea and Dean Henderson as a nice problem. And the problem with nice problems is the more you neglect it, the more you decide to do nothing, it stops being a nice problem and it starts being a problem problem. And now we're going to enter this summer. And you're like, right, well, we've essentially, you know, two seasons of Dean Henderson at United where he's not really done anything. We will probably have to sell him. And this is what keeps happening. Ooh, they kept delay and they delay and they delay and kick it down the line. And to, you know, nick an old military adage, shit rolls downhill. So the longer you keep neglecting these things, the bigger the problem will get. And it's a mighty big mound to deal with this summer. And there's many versions of the truth with this. So Jose Mourinho's version of the truth of what happened in 2018 is very different to Ed Woodward's version. And this is often a problem in football. It's interesting you mentioned the goalkeepers. I did a piece for The Athletic on Saturday uh, where I spoke um, about United's current goalkeeping situation and spoke to lots of people who, who know a lot more than I do on on this area and I think Dean Henderson will probably have to leave because he's not going to play first team football I think he wants to play first team football he's good enough to play first team football David De Gea has cemented his place as United's first choice goalkeeper but then the new manager could come in and have a completely different take on that couldn't they? he could do but we watch Manchester United and we know that David De Gea is doing very well I think if a new manager would come in that wouldn't be his biggest problem I think he'd look at him and think, right, I've got a decent goalkeeper here. He might have a completely different view. I mean, if Dean Anderson's dad gets the job, <laughs> he's going to look at it in a totally different way, isn't he? I think it's the thing. It's not the biggest problem, but it is a problem and something that needs to be sort, sorted out. And it should have been sorted out last summer, and they didn't. Yeah. Much like J- that, Jesse Lingard part comes of the back. Issue, though. Jesse Lingard came back from West Ham, and that wasn't the biggest issue, but it was an issue that they should have sorted out, and they just didn't. And now, you know, United have lost out and possibly gaining 20 million for Lingard last summer. Part of the issue, Carl, though, is the fact that there are so many things on this list as well, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, that, and if it gets deferred, it just goes on to the next list, doesn't it? It's like when you make that list of things to do today. Not that I ever do that, but if I did, there'd be loads of things on it that were on it every single day that I just never quite get round to because they're at the bottom of the list, you know? One thing I found quite... The shed outside is still a mess. <laughs> You know, and it will be for eternity. Which is back to the first point about John Murta. If he's forever firefighting, how can he plan further yes. ahead? Yeah. He needs the headspace to do that. 
Yeah. Do you know what really helped everyone this weekend was Donny van der Beek having a great game for Everton, didn't it, Carl? I think we all enjoyed that, didn't we? In the midfield too. That was fun. (laughs) I mean, a lot of it was the fact that Alan did all his work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, did quite a lot of it. You know, Donny, I mean, statistically, Donny's passing accuracy, something like 89.5. He he wins all his aerial challenges. He makes some interceptions. He does some tackles as well. Um, which is good. It's almost as if Donny van der Beek was a really good football player who's played in the Champions League semi-final. Um, that he nearly got an assist. Uh, that took an odd touch by doing the thing that he was really good at at Ajax, which is peel off from the central area, go to the right half space and cross the ball back in. Which I just wanted to see Donny play as a 10, with Jadon Sancho outside of him and someone like Cavani up top. That, like, it's just never going to happen. It's never going to happen. That's that no. part of the issue. No, yeah. It never was. Uh, so, I mean, this is again is going to be an interesting issue that's not on the top of the hierarchy. If Donny does do really well for Everton and Everton say, we'll give you 20 million for him, do United take the hit and take the possible, you know, loss in profit? Or do they bring him back in and say, no, you are really good now. We are going to give you some game time. We are going to make you the, the X player because we've got this person coming in or. Paul Pogba's doing this or Bruno Fernandes has decided he wants to play 10% fewer games. Who knows? Martial got assist on the weekend as well. That's funny. And that depends on the manager. And if Ten Hag comes in from Ajax, he might be far more predisposed to use Donny van der Beek than another manager. So it's all in play, yeah. Martial did well. He hadn't done well in his first game. Uh, Sevilla are four points behind uh, Real Madrid. And while we're mentioning Spanish football, given Manchester United are going to Spain next week, Atletico Madrid uh, also won, and and they're fifth. That was a thrilling game, by the way. Four fifth three versus fifth. That's gonna be good, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry, Carl. That was a thrilling game. The Atletico Madrid one. Um, I heartily recommend everyone check out some highlights of that. Did anyone see the women's game on Sunday as well on BBC One? It was a really disappointing result in the end for United, wasn't it? They've been making huge progress under Mark Skinner over the last couple of months. I think he's won Manager of the Month back to back, and to lose that one nil late on, and it was it was a weird goal, Carl, as well, wasn't it? It was pretty much a carbon copy of the same goal. Um, Where scored for in the last Manchester derby, sort of hits that left half space, little chips goal. So uh, yeah, it's like a dink chip yeah. drive. I believe she's yeah, got... I couldn't work it out. She knows how to score at a derby, which is frustrating. But I think this is really good for United's women's team. That they, I mean, they can be disappointed they're not properly in the title race. The objective very much for United's women this season was to see if they can break into that top three because uh, they were you know, leading the league last season at Christmas and just fell away because the squad wasn't big enough. And, and now they seem to be a more consistent presence in third. Getting third is a big deal because then you qualify for the Champions League and such is the wealth disparity in women's football at the moment. Just getting to the Champions League group stages is a basically unlocks a very decent, uh, I think we call them a transfer war chest or a war kitty, depending on what newspaper you buy. But this that'll be the big objective. Skin is a interesting interview. He can say, he can talk for a lot without necessarily saying much which, as someone who isn't being accused of saying that, I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, United are two points outside those sacred Champions League spots at the minute. They're only two points ahead of Manchester City after that result as well. Andy? No, uh, no. in answer to your question, I didn't watch it because I had my brother-in-law over who's a big City fan 
with his two children, who are both City fans, City season ticket holders. So they're telling me how good City are all weekend, and they're watching Don't want to watch Nor- United Norwich a against then, City. And then <laughs> that happens to Manchester United, and I'm saying to my sister, why have you married this man? This, you know, you're just bringing pain on me on my own doorstep. And then it comes round to Sunday, and I see that it's the derby, and I put it on like ten minutes before. Oh no, that and and it was a brilliant goal, and City win the derby as well. So yeah, yeah. What are them weekends? Happy weekend. Oh, we lost Andy. You still there, mate? Yeah, I'm still. I'm just shaking my head because <laughs> oh, yeah. next weekend's going to be better. <laughs> that that time perfectly with the line breaking up just slightly for a bit of silence, a shake of the head, and the hands on the heads as well. If uh, people could watch this, uh, right? Before we go, um, you might remember on the last podcast that we went down a real, a real golden tangent of speaking about. Benny and Hart at Burnley, um, which we had a brilliant reaction to. It seems when we talk about football on this podcast, people enjoy it, but, you know, whatever, United this, United that. As soon as we mention any sort of drink or any sort of random tangent, people message in the droves and, and want to get involved, which is brilliant, and please continue to do it. And if you ever got any way of contributing to our strange takes and tales, then please, please get in touch and let us know. Uh, I need to shout out Lewis at this point, who messaged me on Instagram uh, just after the last podcast. Uh, and he said, uh, just listening to the last podcast, just dropping you a line to tell you more about Benedictine, which is the Benny part of the Benny and Hot Hot Water and Benedictine, which is a French liqueur, as we established on the last podcast. If you've got no idea what we're talking about, go and listen to the last one, uh, probably about a quarter of the way in. Uh, and Andy sort of retails his, his, um, uh, what, his take from watching Manchester United at Burnley and seeing United fans drinking something weird and wonderful. Um, I'm just dropping you a line to tell you more about Benedictine. I used to be the ambassador for Northern England for Benedictine, as if that's a thing, by the way. I went to a Burnley end-of-year dinner for it about eight years ago. Basically, a Lancashire regiment from Burnley was stationed at Camp in Normandy, the distillery where it was made. They brought it back to the Miners Club in Burnley and it was consumed there lovingly for years. The football club only recently took it on too and overtook the Miners Club for consumption. They love it, I can confirm that. It's a honey-based herbal liqueur, similar in sweetness to Disarono. Shout out to... Laurie Whitwell there and his penchant for amaretto. <laughs> uh, if you need any more cocktail ingredient questions answering, I'm happy to help. Salford Born Red. Brilliant, Lewis. Thank you so much for getting in touch. And I had a message from Stephen Marshall. Uh, Hi, Andy. I used to work for Bacardi, who owned Benedictine. All of what you were saying is true. They've got amazing archives in cognac. Nice one. Cheers, Stephen. I love the fact that that all stemmed from seeing someone at the game under the stand and saying... What on earth's that? Unbelievable, isn't it, really? Um, I, I sort of went back to Lewis and I said, ambassador for Benedictine for Northern England, is, it, is, if, is that actually a thing? And he said, yeah, in the cocktail world, most booze brands have an ambassador whose job it is to promote the brand and represent it. Basically, he says, it's just going to bars and events and drinking a lot, which, other than talking about football, is probably up there in terms of the best jobs, Carl, no? Oh, yeah. I remember talking to... Uh, Stolly, the the Russian vodka. Um, so yeah, I, in, yeah, a former, yeah. in a former life, I used to be a bartender. So I've I've met many a brand ambassador who comes in and tells me, you know, could you start stocking this behind the bar? Uh, I've got a good friend who runs a series of bars with arcade machines, and he said very recently he's he's having trouble politely telling the people of Red Bull that young people don't want to drink vodka Red Bulls anymore because. Yeah, we were on hard hard seltzers instead of vodka Red Bulls. 
So that's the new brand ambassador challenge. <laughs> From the beer section then, with Madrid next week, it intri- <laughs> intrigues me that in the UK, what are considered to be completely normal, run-of-the-mill Spanish beers are promoted as like premium Spanish beers. And yet when you buy the likes of um, Estrella or Estrella Galicia or Madrid in Spain, it's the stuff you drink in the corner, but are for pound fifty. So United fans who are going to Madrid, I don't think any of them are going to have a beer, actually, of those 3,000 travelling reds. No, but no, if no, you no, do no. consider having one, you might find the, the, the prices are quite <laughs> favourable. Funny you should say that, Andy. Pay. I was sucked in by the marketing of Estrella Galicia at the weekend. I'd never drank that before, and I found myself buying eight bottles of it because it was on two for one. And I can confirm it was very nice, actually. Yeah. So, you know, if you can get that for pound fifty in Madrid and you can go and watch Manchester United get a good result against Atletico to take back to Old Trafford. Sounds like a decent midweek, that to me. <laughs> right, we'll talk about that next week, of course. Manchester United have got more 1-0 draws to record before they go to Madrid. Uh, a reminder, don't forget that 33% discount is back. You can get a third off a subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pop up for the minute. Carl and Andy... Thank you so much for being with us as always and we'll be back after Brighton to review that draw. Take care, bye-bye. Athletic.